All right. Welcome. I'd like to get into things pretty quickly today, so I'll just leave a reminder that for anyone who is new to the show, please pause, jump back, check out the quick intro. It gives a lot of great context about what this project is really about, and you might be a little bit confused if you don't. So I I suggest anyone who's new to, to check that out. That's the intro. It's the very first episode of the show, and it's only about seven minutes long. But for those of you who are returning, just another reminder to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's impostorsanonymous.substack.com. We've got some supplemental content coming out on a weekly basis. So it's the best place to keep tabs on the show and, and show your support. It will always be offered for free. So that's always an option. But anyone that is really getting value from the show and feels compelled to support, that's awesome and, and obviously appreciated. But other than that, we'll jump right into it. So thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Okay. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Sean, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to do this show. It's a little bit different than my usual one, so this is exciting. Yeah, yeah. I certainly appreciate you making time for it. And I'd just kind of like to start by saying congratulations. I, I know from from what I've heard of you that you've, you've just had a really great year, and I know that that means a lot, all things considered. So uh, yeah, I'd just like to say I'm happy for you on that front and and glad to see that you're thriving. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it's it's been a good launch. It's been a lot more work with this book than I ever even remotely anticipated. Um, you know, I was already working 60 hours a week on average, and then to oh, yeah. add the book to it, <laughs> it was probably another 20 or 30 hours on average a week that I had just not anticipated um, with the amount of promotion that goes into it. You know, getting testimonials, reviews. Uh, I edited the book way more than probably mm. is normal. I actually recorded it twice in full because I I felt like oh, the wow. first version was a B plus. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't good enough, and I only felt that way after I read it aloud in my own voice. And so I I went back and changed probably thirty percent of it. Um, Damn. So. A lot of work going in, but it's been on the USA Today and Forbes list. Uh, it's been a bestseller in a ton of categories on Amazon. So it's it's been good. It's been good overall. Like I, I feel like it's an A plus now, which I'm happy with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's super excited. I mean, definitely, definitely a tough kind of iterative process to have to mm -hmm. to go back when it's when it's all done. But I mean, at the end of the day, I guess that's that's writing. Uh, it's it's always tough to to put anything down and say hey this is this is a finished product because you're, as I'm sure you can relate to you're always learning you're always evolving uh, and so it's it's very hard for anything to kind of withstand the test of time uh, as soon as you look back at it you know you learn something new you you change your opinion on something and it's it's very hard to to kind of put the pen down if you will um, 
So I certainly, I certainly can imagine where you've been. Um, especially, especially with a science book. Mm-hmm. Every time a new study came out that was like added like a little bit of data or you know, some breakthrough right. on anti-aging, I was like, oh, oh, I want to add that. I kept doing that. And then I'm like, okay, this is, it's enough. Like I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of the most exhaustive books on this front that anyone's ever put out there, certainly on biohacking for the mainstream. Like I, you know, Dave Asprey and, and Ben Greenfield are great friends of mine. Mm-hmm. But those books are like that they put out their contents a little bit more to the extreme athlete or extreme entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted this to be adoptable by, you know, mainstream America too. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's certainly a, an important distinction there. Um, but yeah, just to, to jump back a little bit and you know, just in regards to this last year for you, I'm, I'm just curious through this whole process and, and some of the things that you've experienced and then we've all experienced in a way, uh, I'm just kind of curious how your how you feel like your identity and your, your self-concept has evolved over the past 12 months or so. <laughs> Incredibly. I mean, wow. It was actually, um, it was actually probably, uh, new year's, new year's 2019 going into 2020. So about a year and a half ago, Mm-hmm. that I did my first plant medicine journey. And mm-hmm. that was a massive shift for me. I mean, talk about imposter syndrome. I was dealing with that in a pretty extreme way uh, up mm-hmm. until that point. I kept getting, you know, into bigger and better rooms, doing bigger and better masterminds, getting on TV documentaries. I decided to start working on my book. You know, I have all these titles and, and accolades, multiple seven figure companies. Um, you know, I was as far as accomplishment, I was in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like I was never good enough and it was never good enough. Mm. And um, there was points where I was suicidal. Um, and certainly continued depression throughout that process. I was Mm -hmm. giving, I was what I thought was loving because I was so giving, but my giving was with a good heart. It was the best I could do, but it was also sacrificial. You know, Mm -hmm. it was at my, the cost of my energy because I was so depleted because I didn't love myself. And I didn't know that I needed to set up boundaries that I needed to take time for self care that I needed to give people my overflow, Mm. but I never even had overflow up until I started doing plant medicine work. Like I was Mm -hmm. always just the, the biohacking that I put into this book, that was 20 years worth of how do I keep myself alive? It was, I was the great Mm. experiment experiment. And it was keeping myself alive and keeping myself able to work incredibly long and frenetic work weeks for decades. Right. And it got me places like I I don't regret it. You know, Mm. I'm I'm thankful that my body kept up despite what I was doing to it. I'm thankful for the accomplishments I have. Um, You know, it's got me here. 
And it's made me understand my body on a deeper level, health on a deeper level, and supplementation and biohacking and all these things. But I'm also glad that it was pushing me to the brink, to the edge of my existence. And I'm glad that I finally listened, finally broke down, and finally entered this plant medicine space, as well as, you know, therapy and some of these other things that I explored. And and masterminds. Um, some of the masterminds can be, uh, I don't know if I can swear, but... Uh, yeah, no, go for it. Uh, dick, dick measuring contests is, is right. the best way to say it. Like, gotcha. uh, it's alpha male competitive. Like, how many followers do you have? How much money do you make? Hmm. You know, what's... And, it, you know, that's preying on someone who's already insecure like I was. Right. And so that's really bringing out essentially the worst in me. And, but some of these masterminds were enlightening to me that people were multimillionaires, even billionaires in the room and Mm -hmm. were heart centered, were giving, were kind, were on mission. And I was blown away by that. And I would have never felt like I could do that had I not had a model for that. Mm-hmm. You know, we all need like models and it's hard when you're entrepreneurial, you feel alone. It's the mm-hmm. nature of being entrepreneurial is that people don't understand why you're working 80 to a hundred hours a week. People don't understand why you're, you know, working through all your vacations, your nights, your holidays, why you, uh, you know, go to such extremes why you sacrifice your whole salary, potentially mm-hmm. sometimes your family or your loved ones, like, yeah. you know, nights out at movies and, you know, events, like why you're working through all that, why you're sacrificing through all that. People don't understand. And it's nice when you can see other people that are doing it very well. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that do it very well that are successful to most people, but it's at the cost of everything around them. Right. And then there's some people that are doing it very well, but have found a way to lift everyone around them up. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was instrumental to get into these masterminds to find these people. And so between plant medicine work, between COVID shutting everything down and like, thank God, I was, <clears throat> here's the thing, Brandon, I would like a couple of years ago, I traveled a hundred days. Wow. The next year I traveled 200 days. 2020, I was scheduled to travel 300 days. Jeez. I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I was, I was, I was getting on bigger podcasts like Ben Greenfield, JJ Vert. You know, I was like getting on uh, documentaries. I was you know, traveling the world and speaking on all these stage, my, my, my businesses were, you know, doing well. So it seemed like I was successful, but it was Mm. at every expense to me, certainly my health. And I'm like, so thankful that, cause there's no way I could have shut it all down. There's no way (laughs) I was, I was too entrenched. Too many people were connected to me. I was committed to too many things and I was so committed 
that I couldn't even say no to anything because I was just in a state of constant overwhelm. So if there was a free moment on my calendar, I let people around me just schedule it. Mm. And it wasn't until everything just got shut down that I had to like totally reevaluate. Mm -hmm. And like, thank God that happened. And that's when I got the chance to do some plant medicine work and, and work with some of these mentors and masterminds and as well as therapists. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, maybe just for the audience real quick, as far as what, what you are referring to when you say masterminds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that would be a mastermind is like a, a, a collective, a group of curated people that are vetted according to whoever is uh, organizing this mastermind. Um, sometimes it's just, okay, you have to pay 5,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 to get in this thing for a year. And mm -hmm. there will be quarterly events at these locations. Sometimes they're kind of celebrity and fancy locations and you meet, you know, celebrity athletes and rock stars and whatever. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just a small group of entrepreneurs that are just, you know, going deep. But the whole idea is that you're in a community and, you know, typically these are anywhere from 20 to 200 people. Mm -hmm. So the average is about 50. And you go deep for three days every quarter uh, at some location. And then usually once a month you do kind of, you know, monthly Zoom calls or something like that. And mm -hmm. there's also usually a Facebook group or something where you can ask questions like, hey, I need help editing my book. I need someone to help do my website, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's a community of, of, you know, it can be some of them are just for men. Some of them are just for women. Some of them are co-ed. Some of them are, you know, themed for health providers. Some are uh, for e-commerce. Uh, there's just a, gotcha. there's a lot of them out there, but you know, the whole idea is that you have some kind of collaborative group that offers really high level networking. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it definitely makes sense. Um, just in case anyone wasn't, wasn't generally aware of the reference, but, uh, yeah, I kind of wanted to jump back to what you maybe originally started with, which is saying that, I guess around the first of last year, A, you had your first plant medicine experience, but B, you were experiencing a lot of, uh, a lot of self-doubt and, and a lot of just general, I guess, lacking. Um, I'm curious where you feel like that comes from. And, and obviously you, you've had a lot of success in a lot of different spaces in life and, and you've accomplished a lot for yourself and probably a, a million other things that I'm not aware of, but I'm curious if that was something that you feel like uh, has been a theme throughout your life or, or in your childhood that you, you felt inadequate or that you, you weren't sure where to look to find uh, some sort of more permanent or, or long-term contentment or, or satisfaction. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of curious if, if now you, you have the ability to reflect and say, okay, I see why, um, or if that's still kind of something that you're struggling with now. I, I definitely do. It's something I very much explored. And uh, I was always empathic, just a deep feeler and thinker, um, intuitive and, and 
emotional. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I went through a very difficult, chaotic childhood. Uh, both my brothers uh, ran away at a very young age. And uh, mm-hmm. I also was bullied as a kid because I became overweight because of the difficult childhood. So I was the, mm-hmm. the fat kid in class. Um, and I was just laughed at and made fun of. And, um, you know, I struggled with my self-esteem. I struggled to ever date any girls. Like I was really late blooming. Like I, I was still growing in my freshman year of college. And I started shaving, I think about my sophomore year of college. So, mm. you know, like as far as just self-esteem, it, it really wasn't there. And I think I was always trying to prove myself to my father and the world and um, this never felt good enough and good enough was never good enough. Mm-hmm. And that um, was, a, it was a long road because of it. I had numerous health issues, um, mm-hmm. really bad health issues. <coughs> um, I went through, like I said, obesity and, and body dysmorphia that led to anorexia. Mm. I went from 300 pounds at six foot two, six foot three to 150 pounds. Oh. I then went to 220 pounds jacked and ripped working out for four hours a day. At no point did I ever love myself or feel like it was good enough again. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was emaciated, it was, I still felt fat when I was, you know, jacked and ripped I still didn't feel muscular enough Mm -hmm. and then I ended up getting uh, Epstein-Barr fibromyalgia Hashimoto's chronic fatigue syndrome Mm. and my body was shutting down I was in bed for six months in pain and inflamed thinking I would never be a productive member of society I again considered suicide at that point um I had a brain tumor. I had a bad car accident with uh, that led to multiple discs getting replaced in my neck um, with titanium discs. I've had numerous surgeries from sports I play just because I play them so hard and and I was again trying to prove myself and, mm-hmm. and be alpha out there in a way yeah. that for most of my childhood I was never alpha. I was anything but. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's where a lot of it comes from. And a lot of it was never dealt with and suppressed and then Mm. led to me being relentless on achievement and relentless on my health. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you from being in these masterminds that I would say, about 80% of the entrepreneurs I talk to have been traumatized in their childhood. Really? I think it's kind of like a, a common thread of like mm-hmm. why we are so driven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely, uh, definitely makes sense when you, when you put it into context and with someone who has, has your sort of past and history, I mean, it, it seems only natural to to have this urge to to overcompensate in, in some regard or another. Um, but I guess kind of jumping us to now, 
I'm curious what, and I, I know it's sometimes hard to speak to you uh, in, an, in an elegant or concise way, but what you feel like you've gained from these experiences in the past year and, and this reflection, this therapy that, that allows you to relate to these things differently now or what you more so feel like you've reoriented towards uh, as opposed to just kind of progress for progress sake? Yeah, that's a great question. And I also want to add to that, that I'm, I'm blessed for the trauma and suffering that I've endured. Mm. It's, it's like I, I've talked about recently as I've opened up with my depression and suicidal thoughts and, and what I've been through in, in some of these uh, conferences and, and speeches I'm doing is I'm talking about my broken is my beautiful. Like it's really like what mm -hmm. gave me my superpowers. Like one, it, it, I became successful as a result of, of the drive I had. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. But two, I would have never known the degree of sacrifice and suffering and then therefore been able to connect in such a way to so many people on their health, mm. on their struggles, on their depression without going through that. And so I'm so blessed that I went through that. And I feel like there's the idea of stoicism that the obstacle is the way, right? Like Ryan right. Holiday. And mm -hmm. that's a resilient mind. Like most successful people have two com uh, two things in common that Tim Ferriss found with Tools of Titans. One, they have a mm -hmm. great morning routine, which makes sense that you learn to own your day versus being reactive in your day owning you. That's mm -hmm. where it starts every day. The other aspect is that you're a great reframer that you can take something and turn it into a positive, that you can turn it into a lesson, right. that you can turn it into opportunity. And, you know, those are skills that are powerful to the entrepreneur. And so I'm so glad that I've gone through what I've gone through because now it's given me much greater resilience gratitude, appreciation for where I am, and that I finally was able to turn that corner. And if I had never gone through all that, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't be the man that I am. I wouldn't be as strong as I am. I wouldn't have found my purpose and my potential. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful for what I've been through. I'm just also thankful that it didn't kill me in the process. And, and right. now I'm here and turn that corner. But when I started doing this inner work, when I started doing the plant medicine, working with therapists, that's when I found that I can have love, I can have inner peace, I can have uh, self-care, I can have happiness. And now I'm already where I'm at and so blessed to be there. So like mm -hmm. I can have it all. Right. Now it's, it's, uh, it's a, uh, it's just amazing that, that I'm here with that degree of balance. Um, when I've been told all my life by the Gary V's of the world that you need to suffer, that you need to put your head down mm -hmm. and grind that the idea of grind to me means heat and smoke and pieces breaking off. And that's what was happening mm -hmm. to my body. 
It was breaking down constantly. I felt like my body was betraying me from all that I needed to accomplish because mm -hmm. the Gary V's were telling me, get out there, hustle and grind and sacrifice, put your head down and go. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm doing that and I'm beating everyone in the process, but I'm also destroying myself. Right. And so it's a message that I feel like is not a great message. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I've learned my lesson along the way. And it has become uh, a blessing to me in the process to, to finally be so broken that I sought out answers. And then I'm so thankful that the world did what it did. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not happy that there was a pandemic and people lost their lives and lost their jobs and all the things that happened. But for me, I saw the opportunity in it and it was highly impactful to my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point, particularly about just an individual's ability to, to reframe things. And I think in some ways that is uh, some version of that is, is the ultimate reframe as far as the, my broken is my beautiful, as you put it, or, you know, my disability is my superpower, whatever, you know, so anything of that nature that, that allows people to uh, take essentially anything, any, any aspect of their past that is, that is traditionally framed negatively and, and uh, kind of own it and just say that that is what has made me what I am now. And, and there was no other way to hear than, than the route that I took. Um, and it's, it's certainly a, a valuable tool. And I, I find myself as someone who, for whatever reason, and I say that because I I often struggle to figure it out, but has always been able to do that pretty well. And I, I can't exactly uh, speak to it that well. I mean, I, I didn't have the the worst childhood by any means, but I, I definitely faced a lot uh, that I would say is not normal um, and, and grew up in an environment in which I, I was always very different from, from everyone else around me, um, or at least was perceived to be that way. Um, and so I think, you know, at a young age, I, I was very used to, uh, to some degree putting on a front or, uh, trying to create the appearance that I was normal or, or the same as everyone else. And, at some point it, it did just kind of click for me that 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 wasn't really desirable <laughs> that 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 uh and i think we all experience that on some level because as kids we just we want to be in the in crowd we want to be accepted we we want to you know be a part of the mainstream if you will but i think ideally everyone at some point has that realization that that's not really where you want to be uh and that what makes you different is is actually what what makes you uniquely valuable so, you know, without getting too deep into my shit, it's, uh, it's definitely something that resonates with me. And, and I think a lot of people in a lot of different ways that as long as you're able to, to get in the habit of being able to, to reframe, and it's something I've spoken to a little bit before that it's almost like when you face a problem in life, uh, sure, you hear a lot of people talking about like, you know, just seeing it as an opportunity. And I think, I think that's certainly valid, but one of the more interesting framings I've seen before. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's kind of like uh, when, you, when you're faced with a challenge in life, it's kind of like if you see it as a, as a boss battle, like in a video game. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a little corny, but in a way it, it's very elegant because 
when you're playing a video game, uh, you know, you accept it. You, you know, okay, this, here comes this boss battle. Like this is something that was designed to challenge me. This is something that was designed to try me and I will fail over and over and over again. But eventually I, I will move past it. And that this is a sort of game of sorts that, that life has thrown at me. And I, I will overcome it, but right now it's, it's just a matter of, of iterating and, and trying to figure it out and, and not getting defeated as if, if I fail once, I, I can't just try again. Um, and kind of seeing it as like, wow, this is this kind of really creative way of, of trying to knock me down that life has presented as, as someone who designs a video game does. Um, and, and ever since I heard that, it really stuck with me that when, when things, when things turn for me, I, I tend to kind of almost play a little music in my head, like, uh, okay, here we go. Like this is, this is happening. This is, this is one of those moments. This is, uh, you know, a what the fuck situation where you, it's very easy to kind of get this, have this tragic edge to it where you're like, how does this happen to people? And it can get very heavy, very fast. But I, I do find that that framing there often helps me just have a little bit of pullback and uh, recognize that I just, I'm going to have to bring the the best, even a completely new version of myself to, to move on from this and, and to get past it. But um, eventually I will, but yeah, I don't know if that's something uh, that, makes, that resonates with you. No, it totally does. Um, I mean, one, I love gamification is so popular in marketing because we love it, you know, psychologically. Uh, I absolutely love that idea. And you level up in the process, right? When you beat mm. that boss right? and it's something that reframing can go one of two ways. We usually think of reframing as the positive, but right. we're constantly reframing negatively. That's the way we lean right. figures happens to me all the time mm. oh my god why does this always happen to me this sucks i knew this was gonna happen mm. that's reframing negatively and that's where most people are at and most people will never get past that boss even with the cheat codes even with the directions <laughs> even with a walkthrough they're right. still not gonna beat that boss mm. and here you are that's reframing seeing this as the obstacle is the way and realizing that i find my purpose that i level up in the process through the obstacle i don't wish for a life with no obstacles i don't wish for a life with a shortcut around the obstacles i know that the obstacle is the way that the joy in the video game is mm -hmm. beating the bosses if right. you just played the game through with like a cheat code and you had no deaths and and it was super easy, would that be fulfilling? Mm -hmm. You enjoy the video game because of the difficulty. And like mm -hmm. you, you know, dance around the room when you finally beat the boss, like it's a big deal. <laughs> so I love that. And, and I actually had someone tell me recently what was cool with a reframe on age mm -hmm. is that instead of like, you know, saying, oh, I'm 50 years old. And, you know, again, that sucks. They were mm -hmm. saying like, I'm level 50 <laughs> every year. They're like leveling up. And that's how I look at mm -hmm. it. It's like, I'm gaining experience. I'm gaining knowledge. I'm at my best. I'm at the best I've ever been in my life right now. Mm -hmm. And that's how I look at it. Like that, that I'm so blessed to continue to age, to continue to learn, to continue to seek growth, to continue to have more experiences. So 
I love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you definitely uh, picked up on that and, and extended it quite well, but it, it really is, it seems kind of simplistic at times, but, and I mean, it's not just a personal philosophy, but it's, there really is a, a truly, I mean, I don't even want to say positive and negative because I think sometimes those words can be misleading, but there's, there's a duality to, to everything. And I think it's my personal belief that they're always in balance and that, so you, you have the opportunity to focus on either, but even that naturally the, the best things in life, sure, they're always going to have this baked in downside, which is losing them. You know, like you don't have to take it any farther than that and say, okay, here's a hundred bucks. And now you have the capacity to lose a hundred bucks. Like, it, you know, everything has that baked into it, that there's, there's a balance there and, and anything that has a certain downside that has a certain valley also has a coinciding peak. So if, if you can develop the habit of just focusing on, uh, what is fundamentally positive, if you will, about anything, it, it really can be a, a bit of a superpower because there's, there's always going to be that, that other side that if, if you choose to, or if you're just in the habit of it, it's not even necessarily your fault. Um, anything can be framed negatively. It's, as you said, it's, it's perfectly possible to, to never enjoy anything in life. Um, but you kind of have to take both of them in stride. Um, at least that's just how I see it. Yeah, you know, speaking of imposter syndrome, I know this is Imposters Anonymous. So <laughs> one of my reframes there is I was all, like almost always when I'd walk into these masterminds or even up on stage or, or all these opportunities that I felt the imposter syndrome. And it helped to learn that almost everyone that really was passionate in the space wherever I was, like these entrepreneurs in particular, Mm -hmm. all felt imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. I started to realize that I'm not alone feeling like I might not be good enough, that almost everyone in the room was feeling that way. Mm -hmm. That helped me. But then my other reframe that happened was I felt like I wasn't enough with, you know, this person had 5 million followers. This one had $10 million. This one had you know, four businesses, this one was famous. Mm-hmm. And I started to say, I don't deserve to be in this room. And then my reframe for that, whenever I feel that way is, well, wait, I'm a badass because I'm in this room. Mm-hmm. All these people around me are badasses. So I must fucking be a badass. <laughs> and that's my reframe. Like these people are just so leveled up and incredible and it's no mistake that I'm here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy to, to talk ourselves out of being worthy of anything. You know, I think we, because we're, I guess sometimes I think we, we think that we are, uh, I don't even know the best way of saying this, but we think that we totally understand what's going on behind the scenes inside of us better than we do. So we feel like we are kind of the ultimate puppeteer, if you will, that, that we totally understand uh, everything that's going on here. And so everyone else is perceiving us in this way that is uh, is incongruent with, with how we perceive ourselves to be, even though, and it's something I get into in the show a little bit, but I, I to some degree argue that it's 
that had the sure there's a gap between uh, what happens inside of us at base and how others perceive us in the world. But I feel like that illusion or that disconnect is just as large as the disconnect between what is really uh, at our core and how we perceive ourselves. And I think we often assume that our our self-concept is, you know, the base reality is is the true null hypothesis to work from. And I, I in a lot of ways would argue that it's it's not. It's all a little bit illusory. It's all a little bit confusing and uh, there's always layers to peel back. So sometimes we get even just having a little less attachment to our own self-concept or uh, how, you know, our, our thought patterns, our, our self-concept, our inner monologue, whatever it may be that we tend to identify as a self uh, could be just as, uh, I guess, false or an imposter as much as the, the self we offer to the world. So it, it, um, it's definitely just one of those things where on any level you can, I guess where I was going with that, you can always talk yourself out of out of being worth, out of being good enough for anything that you're doing. You could you could climb Mount Everest and and feel like a fraud for doing it because you know you didn't do it alone or you didn't uh, you weren't the first to do it. I mean it's it's endless and it's it's this intense capacity that we have because we are these competitive beings and we our our hardwire tells us to our hardware tells us to to always compete and to always look to others and to always understand our, our place in the hierarchy, but, uh, man, it, it, it's fucking exhausting. <laughs> it is. And, you know, if you're like, you know, if you were like Kobe Bryant was and you're chasing Michael Jordan, it's like, you know, you only have five rings and he has six or, you know, if you're Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, it's like, Oh, like, you know, I've only got a hundred billion and he's got 150 or, you mm -hmm. know, it's, you can be at the top of your game. You can be like the most elite person, like you're saying, but still feel like you're not good enough, still fall into second place, still mm -hmm. feel insecure and sad. Right. No matter what level you're on, which is, uh, you know, a fascinating study of, of human psychology for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, to, to pivot back a little bit, um, and it is a very open question really, but I'm, I'm always curious what people, what I might be missing, uh, just in general in my worldview, uh, but also just as far as what, what I consume, what I think about, what I talk about. Um, and I'm curious just what's something that is like critically important to you as an individual that you feel like not enough people are talking about in general. You just don't feel like is a part of the public discourse? Probably two things that I found most important. Um, one is, is plant medicine for me, but, and I'll say like plant medicine means things like MDMA and, and they, it covers more than quote unquote plant medicine because MDMA is synthetic, ketamine is synthetic, mm -hmm. um, but it includes things like psilocybin or even ayahuasca and some of these experiences you've heard of it's really important that I add a ca caveat of I've done the proper set and setting my mindset going in mm -hmm. is prepared to do inner work and I'm prepared to do the integration for months to follow that with journaling, with deep thinking, with making changes in my life. Otherwise it's just an experience. Mm -hmm. And then I've also taken the time with the setting that I have proper facilitators that are trained 
that know my traumas, know my health situation, that are taking every precaution to keep me safe so that I can lean into this experience, Mm -hmm. so that I can get the most out of it. My body feels safe. My mind feels safe. Um, They know what they're doing and they know how to guide me through that process and then help with the uh, integration in, in the, you know, months to come. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The other thing that I think that most people aren't talking about right now is, you know, in this time of, you know, cancel culture or binary, like I, it's really like binary thinking. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's so dangerous. And there's a reason that we're thinking this way. We're distracted. We're controlled on a lot of levels. There's power in making us think binary. If we all thought the same way, there wouldn't be arguments. If we mm-hmm. think three, four, five, 10, 20, 100 ways, there's discussion. Mm-hmm. But when it's one or the other, it's very easy to put someone in their box and dismiss them without discussion. Right. And that's why we're in this period of time where it's Black Lives Matter, it's not. It's racist or it's not. It's Republican or it's Democrat. It's conservative or it's liberal. It's vaccine or no vaccine. It's it, You'll find that it's like either you're on board or you're not. Either you're with me or you're in the other group and I'm getting rid of you. Mm-hmm. And this this type of thinking is, is so like Naziistic and dangerous because it means we're no longer talking. Mm-hmm. And I find that like so scary. And there's just a means of control in all that. And we have right. to see that, that things are not binary. It's not that you're Republican or you're Democrat. There's people out there that are Green Party. I'm Libertarian. There's people that are conservative Republican, people that are liberal Democrat, people that are independent, people that have a wide array of views in each party, even if they're of a party. So there's a gamut. There's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And there always is on all these issues. It's not one thing or the other. Right. But we're getting put in boxes and getting dismissed. I talked to a guy the other day that told me that, um, you know, he didn't like this person because they supported Trump. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because they're racist. And I said, well, why do you believe that to be the case? He said, because they support Trump. And I asked him, so you believe that over 50% of the country is racist? That's a pretty tough place to live. Mm-hmm. And then I proceeded to tell him, this is, this is my thoughts, mind you. And, and by the way, I didn't vote for Trump or Biden. I voted Libertarian. Um, I told him that I don't believe that almost anyone is actually a racist. Like maybe if you're a Nazi or... KKK, like, you know, then you're living that way. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of your identity. But I don't believe that we should be labeled something. Do I believe that we all have racist behaviors or actions or thoughts at points in our life? Yes. Mm -hmm. Scientifically, that's known as xenophobia. Like we get scared sometimes of people that are different than us. However, that looks that keeps Mm -hmm. us surviving that's programmed into our dna and the best way to defeat that is to get around people that don't look like Mm -hmm. you and have conversations with people that don't look and act like you and then you can appreciate people of different views and cultures and ethnicities 
But I was telling him that it's not, it's not a label that we should put on someone, I, uh, you know, that just to dismiss them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if someone says like, uh, you know, with AA, like I'm an alcoholic, like, I don't, I don't like that either. Or like, I'm a cancer patient. Like, I don't like that either. Like you're someone that's battling cancer, mm-hmm. but you're branded and you're brilliant yeah. and you're accomplished and you're a painter and you're this and you're that. Like, mm-hmm. you're not a cancer patient. You're not an alcoholic. You battled alcoholism, but that's not who you are. That's not mm-hmm. like the badge you have to wear of like shame for forever. Mm-hmm. So that's just, it's something that I've been thinking through of like this idea of how dangerous it is to stop having conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's again, a lot to unpack there. And I think it's, it's something that, that is very much at the heart of this, at the heart of this project. So I'm, I really am glad that you brought it up that it's, it's something that I think now more than ever, I think there's, there's a few variables here. One of them being there's too much information, right? I think, uh, and, and so much of it is not quality that I think people are, people are overwhelmed. People are overloaded. People are overstimulated and they, in general, regardless of where we are now, people have always wanted to try to simplify the world, their environment, to compartmentalize it, to be able to move through it in a way that is that is easier, that is, again, more simple. And so when you're able to put things into boxes, you know, this is just psychology, that it it is helpful. You know, you every time you, you look out into the world and it's okay, what, how is this like something I've already seen? And that is, is maybe one of the least helpful things about us in these modern times, though, uh, from an ancestral, I guess, perspective, it was incredibly valuable that we were always trying to figure out, okay, what label can I put on this person? So I don't have to think about it anymore because I have other shit to worry about. You know, there, there could be a tiger behind me. So I don't have time to, I don't have time for the nuance. I don't have time to say, let me have a, a three hour long conversation with, uh, everyone that I meet, you know? And so that's, that's one aspect. And so I think a lot of people come by it, honestly, is that they, they really, people want to try, people want to be politically engaged, they want to be uh, well-read, well-thought-out, uh, they want to be on the right side of history, but at the same time, they, they don't, you know, their, their attention is pulled in too many directions, as you said, they're distracted, so it, it takes time to do what we're doing right now, to, to just sit down and have a conversation uh, and, and it takes a willingness to to totally pivot and to be completely wrong on on any given thing, and that's incredibly difficult. Period. But especially for anyone who feels like to get back to identity, it is an integral part of who they are: is uh, their politics, their racial identity, their any any of these um, what I would call surface labels. When that is something uh, your ideology feels like an integral part of who you are, anyone who feels like a threat to that or presents a challenge to that uh, becomes kind of this outsider, this attacker that is going to make you potentially have to reevaluate everything about yourself and the way that you're living in the world. So with these things kind of building on top of each other, it's like it, it the cost just seems too high to even entertain someone else because if you were wrong, if they're right, 
you're going to have to do all this other work and research and reconsideration and reframing. And for a lot of people, it's just that that seems like too much. And I empathize with that. I really do. Um, at the same time, I reject it. And it's it's difficult because in, in, in the same token, we we are somewhat programmed to have these visceral reactions to to so much that we experience. And even as the example you brought up, I think there's, there's probably people who are listening to this right now that even, you know, you, you say the word Trump and that's like, it, 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 it just evokes a certain emotional response yeah. just to, just to hear it because mm -hmm. of how the past four years have been for everyone and how politicized everything has become that it's, it's very easy. And I, I try to catch myself often, but I'm sure I don't most of the time that you hear certain words. And, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, you, you're, you're triggered. You, you just, you have that reaction and you, you're not really there for the rest of it. And it's, it's easy to put someone in a box and say, okay, they are racist or, um, they're, they're whatever box we're going to put them in. And there's, there's no real reason to, um, have a conversation with that person to, you know, extend an olive branch to that person to better understand that person. And as you said, right now for a lot of people, that's half the country. So that's, that's a very isolating in and of itself that you feel disconnected or at odds with half of the world or half of your country. Um, and, and that's and by it. By the way, isn't it curious that like half the people are on PlayStation, half are on Xbox, half the people on the planet are on Android, half are on iOS. Half mm -hmm. the people are Republican, half the people are Democrat. It's the whole binary thing. And you can't, right. um, like, like, it's it's very interesting that everything is just 50-50 and we're, like, so torn on everything. Mm. Yeah, it, it's clearly in our nature on, on some level to be this way. And, again, I'm sure it was very useful at a time, but it's... Technology and society has moved way too fucking fast for our brains, and um, we're going to be catching up for for millions of years if if we make it that far. So it's it, it's very easy to just kind of stick with that reaction and to say, I, I'd rather just put that person in that box. And and of course, some of the time you you might be right. You know, some of the time your your gut judgment about people is going to have some value but most of the time as you said it's it's more just a barrier it's more preventing you from having empathy it's preventing you from having conversation and i think generally anything that is is preventing those sorts of things is probably not a helpful model um and i think it's something that it's it's definitely one of the biggest problems of our time and sure i can i think i May I hopefully do a good job of of tiptoeing uh, across the the tightrope on on a lot of issues, and I often find myself in the middle on a lot of things, and and I think sometimes people see that as a as a cop out or, um, you know, an unwillingness to take a stance, but I I really don't see it that way. I just really, I try to be open, as I said, to being wrong, and I, I try to acknowledge, as I did from the very beginning, that there really is a duality to everything. And that generally there are two perspectives to be held and there's a reason for them. Yeah. And naturally you fall on either side of, of one or the other, but uh, I think they're supposed to be balancing forces. Yeah. And 
I, I find that too, that with, uh, with a lot of the hot button issues in particular, I'm like, when people talk on both sides, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> see where you're coming from. Like, I'm, I'm, that's often where I am. I, I'm so much more Socratic and, you know, it's kind of like I'm agnostic, I'm libertarian. It's like, I just fall this way. Like, and I think as a scientist, um, you know, I try and be unbiased when you hear terms like scientific proof or scientific fact, those are terms of marketing that has no place in science. Any good mm -hmm. study ends with in these particular situations with these particular variables, with these particular people, with these statistical averages, we saw the following and it's directional and it helps, but mm. ultimately we need to do more research. Right. That's where every good study ends. Scientific fact and scientific proof doesn't exist. There's no study with like 8 billion people that's definitive and proves everything. We're all different. And even in a study with these statistical averages, we get people that drop out. We get people that are non-responders. We get people that are hyper or super responders on the other end. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of individuality. And again, it runs the gamut. Everyone's on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And and again, it's not just as simple as, yeah, it it's it's proof or it's fact. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean it's a it's a very relevant point. And I, I know uh I got a little bit going there, but to to hone in on that a little bit, it's uh to your point, it is kind of like, and I'm, I'm certainly a firm, I guess, I don't know, I would say believer in, in, in science for whatever that's worth these days. Cause I know that even that is like a, everything's become a political slogan, you know, so like believe the science, you know, it's just like, it's hard to even speak these days without feel like you're uh, feeling like you're evoking something you're not meaning to, but, um, that's where intent matters though. Like, I really like to look at someone's intent. Mm -hmm. and you know no matter what they believe like are they coming from a place of a good intent you know it's just like my my parents believe like in the end times and it's the end of the world and you know uh, and they're writing me all this doom and gloom and you know they've seen fox news and it's like really upsetting them and all this stuff and at the same time i'm like where are they coming from with this they're coming from like you know you're talking about triggering like I'm like, ah, oh, this is negative news. This is like all doom and gloom. Like, I don't really need this right now. But I'm like, okay, like, where is this coming from? This is coming from a place of concern, a place of ultimately concern for me and my mm. well-being. So intent matters. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I certainly can agree on that point. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of trying to say that that even though it's it's something I, I strongly support and, and lean on probably more than anything else in in my decision making in my life, at the end of the day, it is kind of like uh, I don't know how would I say like scalable anecdotes, right? I mean, it's it's just kind of it's kind of saying okay, this is this is something that has worked in a particular set of circumstances uh, in isolation. And sure, it's it's somewhat repeatable, but it will be wrong soon. Like, I think that will, that should maybe be at the end of, of every abstract is like, you know, we, we figured this out, but we will, we will learn that this is wrong soon. And that's, that's kind of the beauty of science. And the really frustrating part about it is that everything that we're working with eventually is going to seem 
uh, pretty foolish in time, but we're right. always working towards the best version of what we currently know. And that's, that's the best that we can do. And that's how I view growth. Like what, and that's why these discussions matter. And I want people to challenge the way I think I want to continue to, you know, be around people that think differently than me and act differently than me is because I know that what I believed 10 years ago is very different from what I believe now. And I'm very proud of that, that I am mm -hmm. neuroplastic enough, that I am growth minded enough that that can happen, mm -hmm. that I can continue to evolve and change. And as data comes out, whatever that data looks like, just like as a scientist, I will continue to evolve my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And when there's better data available, I'm not going to be a zealot or, you know, someone that just clings on in blind faith to what my prior beliefs were. I mean, just like we used to believe that, you know, it's things that I talk about in my book, The Energy Formula, that, you know, fat and saturated fat and cholesterol and sodium and all these things were bad for you. And now that's not true anymore. You know, mm -hmm. to your point, like all this stuff does continue to evolve. And yet, if we were to eat butter 20 years ago, people would be like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. you're killing yourself. Right. You know, and it's like, little did we know that it's actually the margarine that's killing you and all these processed foods and that it was never like the butter or the bacon per se. Like, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I love this discussion. This is fun. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always fascinating to to have that perspective of just like even just going back 50 years and seeing what was was broadly accepted by the smartest people that existed um it's you know you go 100 years and you're just like you know and i, I try to play that game of what is that now you know what that in in 50 years what are we going to look back and be like how did we possibly think that this was going to hold up but yeah obviously hindsight is is 2020 so we, we won't know until we know but yeah, I mean to to keep it a bit relevant, I as we're talking, uh, you know, about this whole science landscape, uh, as well as the health and wellness landscape, which you're you're pretty tuned into, and how it can be so a driven by bad incentives, and uh, yeah, as you said, it's it's marketing, it's it's everything appears to claims to be science space and, and and good for you these days and it's it's something that you can you can slap on a label anywhere um and it's it's just an incredibly hard space to to kind of sanely and, and safely even navigate for the average individual and i'm just curious if, if you have any any insight or opinion as to how the average individual could could find reliable information um in these spaces or, or just figure out what, what actually might be effective for them uh, without getting too overwhelmed or, or misled? I know that's a huge question, but. No, it's fair. And, and one, I'll, I'll throw out some biased, unbiased is, is my book. <laughs> sure, <yeah. laughs> um, I, it's painstakingly put together with over a hundred scientific citations, 60 full color diagrams, surveys to assess your baseline and, and status, how you're evolving, uh, chapter summaries, quotes, it's full color front to back. But I would say, and so it's the energy formula is experiment, nutrition, exercise, routines, growth, and your tribe. And 
one thing I try and do like the, at the start of it is bio-individuality. What I, I go through some of the things I do for myself as a frame of reference, but mm-hmm. I never tell anyone to do that thing. I go through a variety of the things. For example, like I do keto, paleo, intermittent fasting, but I also cover carnivore, vegan, Mediterranean, uh, a number of diets and talk through like what makes sense for you because what matters most is what you're actually going to adopt and keep as a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not keto, then keto is not for you and you're going to just get frustrated and give up. And so, you know, I go through all of those kinds of things in the book and every chapter uh, I cover all the supplements that can be helpful, etc. When it comes to supplements, there's a site that I really, really love um, that's called examine.com. And they have all these uh, medical doctors, naturopaths, uh, PharmDs that review all of the studies on these ingredients. And I feel it's a very unbiased review of ingredients. Tells you the doses, the strength of the data, etc. So I'm a big fan of that because a lot of these studies can be uh, funded by you know, the company that wants right. that data, they can be manipulated. The, you can choose certain variables or statistics to focus in on and, and ignore others. And so it's helpful when you have someone who has that scientific knowledge to kind of dig through it for you and, and simplify that for you. Um, so that's, a, that's one that I truly love. Um, and then I have some really great people like on uh, Instagram and, and, you know, some of the social networks that I'm a big fan of, uh, Thomas DeLauer, I think is okay. a great resource in fitness. Uh, he's, he's a, a strong dude, looks like a, you know, bodybuilder, but he's quite brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, Ben Pakulski is brilliant. Okay. Uh, he's yeah. another bodybuilder, very, uh, biohacker, you know, growth minded guy. I'm friends with Ben Greenfield. I think he does a pretty good job. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to find some people that connect with you and don't. Um, as far as females, uh, Kayla Osterhoff is a uh, soon-to-be PhD in neuropsychiatry, um, really brilliant biohacker, has a great podcast. Um, Melanie Avalon is another biohacking queen that is, is brilliant. She interviews mm-hmm. people like David Sinclair and all these brilliant minds and anti-aging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, those are some, some places I know Chris Gethin is, uh, is great when it comes to fitness. He's been a bodybuilding icon for, for years. And again, he's growth minded. Like some of these guys that I've met that are, you know, into biohacking, into growth mindset, like, that really tells me like they're searching for what's next and what's new and what makes sense and they're open-minded. And so I love to get my data from people like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I'll definitely link all that in in the show notes so that people, people have an easy reference for it because I'm I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of value in the things you've just listed off. I familiar with some and and not with others. So I'll definitely check them out uh, as well. But as, as we're kind of on that topic, um, I think we've been uh, talking about a few trends here and I guess we, you touched on one earlier and kind of your personal experience with it, but we are seeing more and more people just struggle on, on a deep level in regards to 
their not just their physical health, but their their mental health from anxiety and depression to their body image and, and eating disorders. And there's there's a lot of reasons for that. But in in the age of social media, amidst a, a very consumerist and kind of image obsessed society, I'm I'm just kind of curious how you see it and how we have a conversation about the really critical and, and essential benefits of, of exercise, nutrition, supplementation, all these things that that are very near and dear to your heart without without pushing people further in that direction of, of feeling um, inadequate or, or insecure or uh, kind of driving some of those cycles of, of uh, depression and, and things that, that push people really ultimately uh, in a place where sure they're as you've spoken to you're, you're getting stronger you're in, you're in better shape but it's it's never enough yeah that's a great question and i feel like again that's been my purpose because i'm someone that has been that's dealt with disordered eating that's dealt with body dysmorphia that's been orthorexic that's been suicidal and depressed that like i get it like i felt like i was never good enough either and so I know what it's like to, you know, be in that situation. And that's why throughout the book that I talk about meeting someone where they're at and, mm-hmm. you know, celebrating the wins and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's again, it, it's, it's a spectrum. And so, you know, someone going from six Cokes a day to two Cokes, that's a win. That's a huge yeah. win. Someone going from two packs a day to half a pack. Awesome. You know, like it's, it's not all or nothing. And, and I am excited for someone that is on a path to wellness. Mm -hmm. It's not, this is one of the things that I realized in plant medicine is that I, I spent my whole life believing that sexy or aesthetically pleasing was an achievement. Like when I hit six pack, when I hit this certain weight, this certain amount of muscle, that happy would occur when I had this pretty girl or this amazing car or took this certain vacation. And that successful was when I had this job title or this amount of money. Mm -hmm. And then I realized in this plant medicine space that they're not achievements because I kept getting these things from what I thought and I kept getting to that achievement. And then there's a higher level. There's Mm -hmm. a better looking girl. There's a faster car. There's Mm -hmm. more money. There's a bigger house. There's, you know, a a better mastermind. There's a, a better podcast to get on. There's a bigger TV show. There's like, there's always all these things. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that it's, it's a state of being mm-hmm. that you can just be happy, that you can just be successful, that you can just be sexy. If you want, you can just be that right now. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not a place that you eventually get to. It's a path that you're on and you can just choose. And so that was a game changer for me. And I believe the same is true with wellness that you can just, choose to be well and start taking steps towards that. It's not all or nothing. It's not some destination that you'll get to because someone that you think is well 
you know, maybe they're a CrossFitter, but, you know, maybe they're addicted to, you know, porn and alcohol and, you know, what, I don't know, like, you know, whatever it is, right. but, and, you know, they're desiring like a better six pack and, and they feel mentally unhealthy. You know, it's like everyone's got their struggles. And as long as you're moving on your path, that's right for you towards a better life. However you view that, then those are wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point. And it's, it's one that I, I try to keep in mind as often as I can. And I think I, I've turned the corner on it to some extent that whether once, once the cat is kind of out of the bag on that one, you can't go back. But I think just thinking about the concept of envy in any capacity is very helpful. And as you spoke to the fact that you never really know what anyone had to do to get where they are. Mm. And you don't know what they're struggling with uh, on any level. And it's very easy for us to look at people's material successes, even, you know, their physical form or whatever, and, and say, I wish I had that, or I, I wish, I wish I, I think we sometimes say, I wish I had that. I think it's maybe less common to say, I wish I, I were them, but I think in a way those things are kind of one in the same that you can't, you can't have something that someone else has without taking on the full package in a way where it's they you don't understand what it took to get where they are and whatever set of circumstances in life brought them to where they are it's a it's a broader picture that you have just the smallest smallest viewpoint on and so it's even if you look at someone like i don't know and in elon musk or, or michael jordan you know some of these people that are that are at the pinnacle of of the world in regards to recognition and fame and success, you, you have no idea what it's like to be them for even one second. And the, the quality of, of one's mind really is the quality of their life. And we know almost nothing about that outside of ourselves. And so it's, it really is rather useless to, to look at others and say, I, I, I wish I was that person or um, to speculate from the outside and feel like we understand or that, that this is a happy person. This is a this person doesn't suffer. This person has the ideal life. Um, that as soon as we recognize that anyone could be suicidal, anyone could be depressed, anyone could be suffering uh, in unimaginable ways, purely just inside of their head, and in, in ways that are completely non tangible. Uh, on top of whatever tangible ways they might just be suffering in, in their own life, that that you're not aware of. Um, so, so to bring it full circle, I think it's just a, a really great reminder. Um, your example about, I think you mentioned a CrossFitter and, and maybe them you know, being an alcoholic or addicted to porn or whatever it is that you just, it's very easy for us to fixate on, on image specifically and say, uh, I, I kind of wish I was like that person or I wish I had what they had, but it's, it's always a full story. And generally speaking, people are, who are really successful in other ways, there's, they have inadequacies in others or they're, they're leaving other things behind. Uh, you know, they, as you even mentioned earlier, you've had to abandon relationships. You've, you've had to make sacrifices. It's not like anyone got there overnight or without there being trade-offs. So it's, it's definitely always helpful to just remember that, that, uh, if it's, I guess to use the kind of ego and uh, 
id iceberg analogy of you know you, you see the top of the iceberg but you <laughs> everything else that is truly valuable and meaningful is will always be underwater and you never know what's going on there um so envy is just it's it's natural but it it really never gets us anywhere yeah there's there's a term about the the 20 year overnight success Mm -hmm. people see the overnight success they don't see the 20 years of sacrifice that went into that right um you know and that's that's something to be mindful of and then you know along the lines of what you're talking about i i love music and a couple of my favorite bands um you know soundgarden with chris cornell and um he was you know obviously very famous and you know was leading several bands and had a family and, and he killed himself. And then a year later on the same date that he killed himself, his best friend, Chester Bennington, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, who mm. had a big family, was super successful, height of fame, tons of money, seemed to have a great outgoing personality, killed himself. Mm. And you're, you're right. Like we don't know the struggle. Like, you know, a lot of people probably wish they were like, I wish I was Chester. I wish I, you know, mm. God, that must be amazing. And who knows what like demons like this guy was struggling with. I mean, clearly to take his life. And it is, you know, I, I get all, all the time. There's a, a kind of quote that sticks with me of just must be nice. You know, it's <laughs> like this missive thing of like people will see me in, you know, Maui or St. Thomas or whatever. And they don't know that like I'm working the whole time. You know, I'm sharing pictures on Instagram or whatever. And it's like, sure. oh, cool. You know, yeah. people to say it must be nice, but they don't see that I'm working 80 to 100 hours a week. They don't see like the the amount of effort that goes into this and and the fear of like not, you know, being able to pay someone on your staff if something goes wrong or, you know, all the things that that happen to entrepreneurs that is just an absolute roller coaster. And they say must be nice. And, you know, sometimes I look at them and say, must be nice to like have your weekend, to have your evenings, to like just go to movies and like just relax sometimes or, mm -hmm. you know, go play volleyball all day or, you know, whatever it is. And like when I have to like pass up on a lot of opportunities that seem fun or engaging to me because I've got work to do. And so those are things that I'm like now reconciling in my life. But there's definitely a lot that I gave up in the process to be where I am. And so you're you're absolutely right. I, I love the idea of the the iceberg where you know ninety percent is below the surface and and unseen. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a a much more elegant uh, metaphor for it, but I think it kind of is a situation in which you're trying to, let's say, climb a ladder, or maybe it works better if we say you're you're trying to build something. You're you're trying to build a tower, something. Um, something high achieving and, and every time you you lay a brick you you put one in, in the bag on your back and it's you know it's it's it really is true on some level that sure it's it just it always balances itself out in one way or another and you're never moving forward in any sort of material way without adding more weight in some way or another whether it's literally or physically emotionally spiritually whatever you're, you're always making it harder for yourself um, and it's, it's just a trade-off. And, and if you would like to live a, a simpler life with, with fewer responsibilities and, and maybe a little less, um, a less 
prospect for the future and, and a less achievement or recognition. But if you can live a simple life and have fewer responsibilities and, and more freedom, that's there's no argument that that's better or worse than than the life that many people uh, choose. But it's I think it's very easy to to see those people that seem to have this freedom uh, because you say, okay, if you have money, you have all the freedom in the world, but it's, I don't think it's really that simple uh, because it's, again, it's sure you've had to make sacrifices on many levels to get there and your money's tied up or your resources are tied up and there's people who rely on you. But even beyond that, you've had to change who you are to get there. You've had to become a certain sort of person to do the things that you have to do. And, and you've had to make certain internal decisions that, that others will never understand. And, and those are also trade-offs and costs that, that don't, that don't come to the surface. Um, so it's, you know, I guess it's, it's ultimately an argument to, to never judge anyone, but uh, that's much easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, again, like something that I do love about that plant medicine space is I've seen people work through you know, traumas of being molested as a child, of being abused, of, you know, working through a, a divorce, of, you know, changing their gender, um, you know, all kinds of things that I've been able to witness of people that were dealing with uh, racism and, and, you know, just so many traumas. And to, to witness people walk through their process and then to not have judgment for it, to realize that the one thing we all have in common is we all struggle and we're all just wanting to be happy. You know, whether mm -hmm. you're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, you know, whatever you are, black, white, you know, American, Russian, like this is the common thread. And like when you see that struggle, when you see that pain, mm -hmm. and then you also see the joy, the truth and the sovereignty you see like, oh, that's what we all have in common. Mm -hmm. That's the non-binary thing. Like we all have a million ways of approaching this. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing that we all have in common. is like we're just, we're getting by. We're trying to figure it out. We're doing our best. We're all doing the best we can with the tools that we have. Mm -hmm. And once you realize that, it helps you break free of the judgment. Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah i mean i i certainly agree and i think before i forget because i wanted to mention earlier since you brought up plant medicine again that it is something that we've we've covered a good amount on this show before and, and actually our very last episode was was uh pretty focused on on that theme so if, if anyone is looking to learn more or uh get a little bit uh more context on that front specifically um there's there's lots of uh lots of daylight in the past there. And I do appreciate you also kind of adding a little bit of a disclaimer, because I think that's always an important part of that conversation that, that people don't, don't get the wrong idea or think that it's something that's, that's simple or, or easy or, or fun or even safe for everyone. Um, right. Exactly. But uh, yeah, to maybe uh, get a little bit more granular, sorry, as, as we wrap things up, I, I'm curious if, to make it, to offer something a little more tangible for the audience. If you could maybe identify one of, or, or the most meaningful habit that you have, that you've, that you've picked up in the past few years, that if you 
essentially, you know, just kind of had to break everything else down, start from square one, but you could keep one habit that you either have naturally or have developed. Uh, I'm just curious if anything sticks out to you. It's the most key one that's associated with this very show and this, this idea mm-hmm. is granting myself grace. Mm. That's, that's been the game changer for me is taking it easy on myself, like easing up. Like, I mean, it's one thing to be positive and reframing and, you know, all these kinds of amazing things and like have the success mindset and growth and, you know, doing cold plunges and, you know, red light saunas and I'm doing keto and intermittent fasting and, you know, taking peptides and, you know, I got exosomes and whatever, like all of that's amazing. I cover all that kind of stuff. But I think at the core is you need to change the voice inside your head from the inner critic to the inner champion. And if mm-hmm. anyone talked to you like you talked to you, you wouldn't be their friend. <laughs> so you need to grant yourself some grace, allow yourself some space to make quote unquote mistakes because that's where you find yourself. That's where you beat the boss. Mm -hmm. It's going to take 10 tries to beat that boss. So that's been, I think the biggest lesson for me and and the most important foundation on which to build. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And it's, it's so hard, you know, It, it really is because it, what arises naturally is is quite difficult to to compete with or or to change or to to uh even just have a certain level of detachment from um and so it's it's of course easier said than done but as you said it's it's treating yourself like like someone that you care about and that, that sounds a little bit cheesy or a cliche but it it really is true and most times we just don't do that Um, or even if we think about, I like to extend it sometimes to like your pets, right? Because everybody, everybody loves their pets. If they have them, they would move mountains for them. They, they always give them the benefit of the doubt and in every situation. And, uh, we just rarely do that for ourselves. Or even when it's like talking about, uh, taking your health seriously or having a procedure done or getting something checked out. It's like, okay, the the dog is sick. It goes to the vet instantly. You know, it's no question. We'll drop the money. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever it needs to happen to take care of this kind of this innocent, uh, obviously worthy and, and lovable thing. But then when, when you have an individual issue or you need something that's addressed, it's like, ah, oh, man, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. That's, it's so easy to to talk ourselves out of it, even though we are we are ultimately the thing that we are in control over and that that we have to take care of. And of course, you couldn't take care of anyone else around you or, or your pets or your children or anything uh, unless you are doing the best that you can for yourself. But it's just we somewhere along the line we're we're not taught to treat ourselves like like friends or or loved ones and. Uh, if we could, certainly life would be a lot easier, but it's it's certainly a process. And, and so I'm just glad that you brought that up. Yeah, it's a muscle that you need to flex. And so you need to hear your voice say the positive things, even if it's you just kind of, uh, you know, faking it until you make it. Like saying the words out loud with affirmations. I feel healthy. I am sexy. I am successful. 
I am going to have a great day. I'm going to change someone's life. You know, having gratitude, I'm so thankful that I was on this show with Brandon today and able to have an impact. You know, like things like that, hearing your voice say those things, uh, I think is really important. So having like a gratitude practice, having a, a affirmations practice, and then also getting around people that challenge you when you need to be challenged, but say those positive things to you, you know, that you also set that bar for how people are going to treat you. So if you treat yourself like crap, don't be surprised if all the people around you treat you like crap, because mm. that's how you're telling them how to treat you, right? You're like, here, here's the, the manual on how to treat me. Just mm. watch me. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's an awesome point. And I, I hadn't heard it framed that way. So I'll definitely keep that one in mind. Um, but yeah, but before I let you go, I feel like I would, uh, I'd regret it if I didn't lean in a little bit on your, uh, on your, your wealth of knowledge and your, your area of expertise. So b before we get out of here, I'm just curious. And of course, I think we both can acknowledge that there's, there's no silver, silver bullets in, in the world of, in the world of health. But if, uh, if maybe you could identify one or, or a couple tools that, that the average person probably isn't aware of, uh, they maybe haven't heard of that would be helpful to look into, learn more about, and that you feel like is a, is kind of a go-to, uh, means to, to just impact overall well-being or, or health. Um, anything on that front that you just feel like is, is very solid and, and core for you and that most people probably don't know about. Yeah, so three that I'll, I'll bring up of the hundreds in the book, but these are three really cool ones. Uh, one, dihydroberberine. So this is the active metabolite of berberine. Berberine has been shown to outperform metformin, the anti-diabetic drug. Oh, wow. It's been tied to anti-aging through a mechanism called AMPK, AMP kinase. And glycation leads to advanced glycation end products ages that literally this blood sugar damage ages us mm -hmm. causes damage throughout the body almost every disease we have about 99 percent of diseases are metabolic in nature meaning you're not born with them they happen over time and typically because of blood sugar and insulin resistance we know now that that's tied to almost everything mm -hmm. whether it's alzheimer's parkinson's coronary heart disease, diabetes, obviously, all of these things are related to uh, a degree of insulin resistance and, and metabolic dysfunction. So taking dihydroberberine, which is about five times more active than regular berberine and lasts about twice as long in the blood plasma. So it's really, you know, like I said, berberine superior to metformin, dihydroberberine is greatly superior to, to berberine. This is the most powerful anti-aging compound that I know of. And mm -hmm. it's under the branded name Glucovantage. And there's a number of products that have it. I have been, full disclosure, tied to a patent on it. But this is, it has nothing to do with me. The reason I researched it is because I was so enamored with berberine and metformin. Mm. So um, the next one would be uh, sleep tape. This is going to sound super weird, okay. but a lot of us don't breathe through our nose and we're mouth breathers, especially at night. Mm. Uh, right. We uh, do not filter the air correctly. The air is not the right temperature, not the right moisture. 
um, and it's not uh, um, saturating the tissues in the same way when it's breathed through the mouth. That's a backup system, and unfortunately, we're using it way too much. Even if you don't snore, and by the way, snoring and apnea are flat out dangerous. Yeah. Like people are dead in their 40s and 50s and have coronary heart uh, heart disease and that leads to heart attacks, uh, strokes, etc. They die in their sleep. So if you're snoring, if you're gagging at night, if you're you know waking up inflamed. Um, this is a real, real condition that you need to see a sleep doctor about that's killing you and you mm -hmm. feel exhausted in the morning and you're just reaching for caffeine or sugar or whatever. This is your body crying out for something that's not right. Mm -hmm. So, and it's very common, very undiagnosed. So it's something that I want to throw out there, but sleep tape will stop you from breathing through the mouth. You'll start breathing through the nose. You'll wake up much more refreshed recovered if you track something like heart rate variability like with a, a garmin phoenix or um or a ring or biostrap like right. you'll see your heart rate variability improve which means your degree of recovery and readiness to train or have a great day um, another way to do this is also when we exercise when we're kind of pushed to our limits we tend to breathe through our mouth too and I know it'd be weird to be at the gym with tape over your mouth, but <laughs> if you're at your house and training by yourself or you're going out on a hike or you're doing some sprints out in the yard, it would be great to put on some sleep tape and just start training your body. It's not something you have to do all the time or even forever. It's just a way of training your body to breathe better through the nose and you'll find that you recover faster. You feel better. You feel more oxygenated. So that's the second hack. Um, the third hack would be cold showers, cold plunges, cryotherapy. Um, you know, people have probably heard of cryo to help with recovery if you're overtrained. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. Like, I would recommend that people do cold showers, like maybe the last 30 seconds of their shower. Mm -hmm. It might seem tough at first, but even a cool shower, like 60 degrees, they've shown improves what's called brown adipose tissue activation. And that mm -hmm. brown adipose tissue, there's only about six or seven ounces around your collarbone and back. And this brown adipose tissue is highly thermogenic. It's brown mm -hmm. because it's so mitochondrial dense. And it could be like the holy grail of like why some people stay thin and other people's uh, other people don't when they eat eat a lot of food. Mm -hmm. uh, this is highly metabolically active tissue. It's a special form of fat, and so it keeps us warm. And when we when we expose ourselves to extreme cold temperatures, then we upregulate this tissue, and it's also anti-inflammatory, and also helps with. Uh, with growth factors and the immune system. It helps with our resilience and ability to battle back from viruses, for example. So mm. exposure to cold temperatures. And, and think about how little we're exposed to either hot or cold anymore. We're so temperature right. controlled, right? We're so thermoregulated. So it helps our resilience to expose to hot and to cold. And that's actually called, uh, called contrasting. When you jump in a hot mm -hmm. sauna and then you go to like a cold plunge or cold shower, that's even a greater delta of temperature, which creates mm. greater resilience. And actually those hot temperatures upregulate testosterone, growth hormone, 
uh, insulin sensitivity, uh, these heat shock proteins associated with metabolism and, and anti-aging. And so all of this stuff to say is, you know, expose yourself to greater temperatures. It also helps your sleep if you sleep cooler. So, you know, maybe not having the sheet on or blanket on at night, you can get like a, a chili pad. Uh, there's a company that makes uh, something that you can sleep on that cools mm -hmm. you. So those are just some ideas, but those three things are, you know, three great anti-aging wellness hacks. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was awesome. I'm, I'm kind of a, kind of a kid in a candy store on, on, on that front. Uh, definitely a, a lot of things that, that I'll maybe have to, to dig into a little bit more off the air, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard plenty about, about metformin and, and berberine in, in general. Um, I don't as much know about, I guess, dihydroberberine, as you said, um, kind of as this, I guess the, how it's processed in the body. This is the more direct form, yeah. if I understand yeah. that correctly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely have to have to look into that a bit. Um, I'm curious, and, and this is maybe, I'll just ask it anyways. Is that, do you know if it potentially has any effects uh, similar to metformin in regards to uh, exercise and, uh, you know, how people like performance in, in athletes? Yeah, that's a really interesting question that's being explored right now. And there is some degree of uh, mitochondrial stress that happens with um with a number of these compounds and you know it's one of those things that like i talk about in the book with um there's the idea of hormesis and the idea of um like positive stress that can happen and there's there's uh, if you were to think of a bell curve like let's say the left hand side of the bell curve is u stress eu stress meaning a positive stress the middle part of the bell curve is the Goldilocks zone. Mm -hmm. And then the right part of the bell curve is distress. So something that could be a positive stressor, keto, fasting, cold showers, whatever it is, can sometimes, if we're overstressed already, if our allostatic load, which means our stress bucket is overflowing, mm -hmm. then it can turn into a distress and actually be counterproductive. So this again goes back to bioindividuality. And this is where being more resilient over time is going to grow your bucket. So you have more mm -hmm. capacity for stress. And so there's a lot of individual variance here. But what I would say based on the data is that there is some stress, but we're seeing that it's mitohormetic, meaning that the stress is actually a positive stress and anti-aging because it's like taking your mitochondria to the gym. Mm -hmm. And for most people, um, they're not going to see a declination in exercise performance. What I would say is I've never seen something more powerfully anti-aging. When it comes to metformin, berberine, dihydroberberine, I mean, we're seeing in studies on average, um, you know, in animals, it's like 20 to 30% longer lives. Mm. Uh, in humans, it's obviously not potentially that much more great or a lot more complex than that, but it can be several years from what I'm seeing, like 
probably in the range of two to five years, mm-hmm. especially if you're already diabetic or have metabolic dysfunction, it right. could be much greater than that. Um, so what I would say is I would not take it around a workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel like that factor is a considerable one. So I would take it, you know, many hours away from the workout and I would certainly take it near a carbohydrate based meal. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's super helpful and, and I'll, I'll probably try to pick your brain on it some other time. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll digest all that and, and try to put together something in the show notes just so that everyone has, has a place to learn a little bit more on those fronts. It's, it's kind of, uh, I guess a little serendipitous cause that was something, the sleep tape was something that I, someone had mentioned to me a few months ago and I just needed another reminder because it is something that, that I feel like I struggle with a little bit, uh, recently just as far as snoring and, um, you know, I have some issues with my tongue and I just know that, that the whole mouth breathing in my sleep is, is something I've begun to, uh, begun to struggle with. And, uh, yeah, I just, it was off my radar, but definitely something I'll, I'll look into more now because it was something I was wanting to address and just honestly forgot. Um, and I'm, I'm very, I can be very militant about, about my sleep and, and making sure it's as good as I can get. So, um, yeah. And I guess on the final note, you're, you're the second person in the past few podcasts that has mentioned some form of cold therapy. Uh, and I've been, I've been big on heat for a long time. I, I get in a sauna whenever I can, but I, I haven't as much taken the dive on, on the cold side, even though I know I ought to, I guess it's just a little bit, I mean, obviously you can do the showers, um, I definitely like to be able to do the plunges, uh, if I get an opportunity to do that. Uh, but that's just a little bit more, uh, I guess you just have to f- find a place to do it or, or create something at home for yourself. So, uh, I, I think that will probably be the push I need to, to just make time and space for it because I, I certainly know there's a lot to be gained there. Uh, and I've always wanted to try, I've just more so stuck with heat, uh, up until this point. But um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I really appreciate all of the insight you've offered today. It's, it's been an awesome opportunity just to get to talk to you and, and to hear a little bit about what you've been working on. Um, I'll certainly link for everyone your book. It's a, it's a wealth of value and, and knowledge. And uh, I just really appreciate you making time for this. And I, I really do hope that we can do this again soon sometime. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me on, Brandon. Yeah, the the book is energyformula.com. You can find out more about me at seanwells.com, S-H-A-W-N. And then I'm on Instagram at seanwells. So uh, if anyone has any questions from this podcast, they can DM me and I will answer them. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh that's great but i I know you're a busy man i'll let you get out of here but uh again thank you and and thank you all for joining all right thank you Um.